Welcome to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast. I'm your host, Wilson Jackson. Today we have another exciting episode for you. I sat down with Brandon Jones, a contributor for HBCU Game Day and host of a new podcast entitled The Barbershop with BJ Jones, coming soon on the Open Mic Network. BJ is a graduate of Southern University in Baton Rouge, where he played football under coach Pete Richardson. BJ and I met on the sidelines covering the 2018 Southwestern Athletic Conference Football Championship for HBCU Game Day. Not only was BJ a solid athlete, he took a lot of lessons from the game and applied them to his life and beyond. While he never thought he would get into sports journalism, BJ finds himself immersed in it. Sit back and get ready to listen as he discusses the state of the black athlete, the HBCU experience, Deion Sanders hiring at Jackson State, his thoughts on sports leagues, impact on Breonna Taylor's decision, and more. This is Season 1, Episode 6 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast, The HBCU Athlete. Let's get it. Welcome to the Red Diamond Report Podcast with your host, Wilton Jackson. And today, we have Brandon B.J. Jones. Brandon, it's good to have you on today. Oh, man, it's good to be on with you, brother. Man, good to be on. So, Brandon, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So, I am a uh, writer, contributor uh, with HBCU Game Day. Uh, so, if you follow the, the platform, if you follow the website or what we do on um, the Aspire Network or YouTube, you've probably seen me there uh, or, or read some of my workings. Um, I've just recently gotten to sports journalism. It wasn't planned. It was just kind of, you know, kind of one of those things that happened. Um, the oddest part about it, I never saw myself ever being in media. Uh, as a guy who played the game, um, you know, played HBCU football, I used to – you should see my face when the SID would come get me and say, hey, we need you in the media room. <laughs> and I was like, nah, man. Like, so I would – give like the most like Greg Popovich like type answers because <laughs> I didn't want to be bothered straight to so the point now, so now when people see me doing this especially you know teammates or uh, people who who covered you know Southern University at that time they're like man tell me how did this happen of all the people you know how did this happen with you so um, that's my you know on the sports side on the uh, the media side, you know, that's me uh, doing HBCU game day. So for the folks who won't know, I met BJ. We're in the same fraternity. Shout out to the bros. Yep, uh, definitely me and BJ met when I was working for HBCU game day. We were, oh. what game was that? It was what, was it Southern? Sweat Championship. Yes, that's what I thought. It was Sweat Championship. Championship. And we were working together covering that game. And that, that, was, a, that was a crazy game. That was an insane game. You hit on some things that I wanted to mention. So, you know, being that you're a former athlete, uh, former football player at Southern University, what was it like or what is it like being an athlete at an HBCU? Like, what was that experience um, like? So I was fortunate enough to get both um, both experiences. You know, I spent my first year at UAB at PWI mm-hmm. and then spent it at Southern University. And uh, – being at the HBCU, man, it's a feeling like no other. Um, you feel the love, you feel the hype, the excitement of not only game day, but game week. Um, especially those weeks where you have FAMU on the schedule, or Jackson State on the schedule, 
uh, or grambling on the schedule, all corn on the schedule, uh, you know, you feel it. Uh, it is humbling when you think about the Southwestern Athletic Conference and the giants that have come uh, in, the, uh, in, in the swag before you and what that means to play in this conference with so much history, uh, so much tradition, and being at a place like Southern University and the history there, uh, whether it's Mel Blunt, Nies Williams, um, and the list goes on and on, playing for Pete Richardson, who mm-hmm. uh, is a legend in his own right. You <laughs> yes. know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it doesn't hit you when you're in it, but it hits you after the fact. And, you know, sometimes I wish I would have just savored moments and appreciated that while I was in it as opposed to doing it after the fact. And like, man, I wish I could go back. But it's an amazing experience. I will tell you the biggest difference is that playing at a PWI, playing at HBCU, and the PWI, we had a little bit more resources. UAB is a G5. UAB resources at that time were not great. Uh, but we were a little bit on, on par, a little bit on par with the top of the swag. Mm-hmm. But the biggest difference is our coaches at UAB never had the conversation with us about just life and being a black man and things that were happening on campus. We got that conversation all the time at Southern University. You know, it was about, you know, you the person, you the young man and what you're growing into. And and especially as a black man, as opposed to just go out and get the next tackle, the next 15 yards, the next, you know, make the next block or make the next score, the next touchdown. Right. So being that you, so you played under Pete Richardson, right? Yep. So what were some of his like life lessons that he, you know, embedded to you guys along, whether it was on the football field or away from the football field? He would always say, no matter how many championships that we win, my joy is to see you walk across that stage on graduation day and to see my former players come back with their families and knowing that they have contributed uh, to society. Uh, He would always tell you that I want to hear your excuses because the world doesn't want to hear your excuses. Get it done. this is a, a, a camp uh, staple of Pete Richardson. When we, kid, when we used to get back at camp, he's always say, man, don't worry about your girlfriend back at home. Don't worry about it. She's with Jody now. <laughs> right? Don't worry about it. She's with Jody now. But he put so much focus on growing us up as young men. Now, all his great football players as young men, and he will always reiterate it what we represent anytime we went out and the cameras were around, or even if they weren't around, if you get into trouble, that that only smears you and your family. That smears Southern University. He talked about what Southern University is and what Southern University had gone through, whether it was the sit-in movements, the student protests, it doesn't matter. You represent all of that. And, And he made you understand how important it was to always uplift that brand. What would you say is maybe one or two of your fondest moments playing under Coach Richardson? The, the 2003 championship season, uh, the championship game going back to my hometown, the Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and, 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 winning, and winning that title, uh, that was huge. And I remember he grabbed me and he said, this is why you came here. This is what it's all about. And he said, you know, find your folks, go celebrate. Hmm. And that was big because it was just so much going on and and so much excitement. He pulled me to the side and grabbed me um, and and told me that. And then uh, 2005, dealing with Katrina 
uh, in the aftermath of Katrina, at the time we had teammates that didn't know if family members were alive or not, had no contact of it. And he really stressed the importance of family and making sure that you tell people that you love them while you can. Um, and that really stood out to me because those were things I had really nothing to do with football. It was all about family and understanding the importance of taking advantage of, of, of having people here while you can. So those are two of my fondest uh, memories and also graduation. Um, uh, just seeing him there and, and how he smiled and how he lit up when he saw his, his players graduate and get degrees. So it stands out. So thinking about the magnitude of a Pete Richardson and, you know, as a kid growing up, you know, watching in the early 2000s and, you know, even all the way up until like 2010 before going off to college or whatever, I remember, you know, being, granted, watching Jackson State play from, so my perspective would be a little bit different, but Mm -hmm. there's nothing like a Jackson State Southern game or knowing that, you know, it's Pete Richardson on the sideline before, you know, obviously he retired. Uh, you know, to see Southern, you know, when they, when they, when Southern comes to a game or they, they're going to travel fans mm-hmm. come like it's, it's a, it's a totally different ball game. Um, that experience. I mean, like, like how do you just take it all in? So um, it is a crazy feeling to get on the bus, man, to pull up to the stadium and see all those RVs, all those campers, the tents, uh, it it would make me it would give me butterflies. So for that reason, I'm gonna let you in on one of my secrets. Once we got close, I would just close my eyes and I would have on these things right here just to, you know, not see it because I, I always I, I always tell my mom seeing you before a game makes me nervous. <laughs> so, you know, we you know we we kind of had that understanding you know from high school on. But man, it's an amazing feeling when you see people coming from everywhere. And leaving the hotel and seeing the cars and the flags, and you seeing the different state tags—not just tags from the state of Louisiana, tags from the state of Mississippi, but seeing Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas—and just people from everywhere to come to see you, man. It it gives you a sense of wow, like this is really big. And I have to go out and and I have to do my job to the best of my ability today because so many eyes are on me. Especially at Jackson State game. That Jackson State game was always special because it's almost like, man, the sky had a different tint to it mm-hmm. that week of Jackson State. It had a different feel to it. And you just knew the fan bases are so similar, Southern and Jackson State. Uh, both of us believe we got the best bands in the swag. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we both believe that we have the best fan bases in the swag. So we're the, 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 the fan bases are so similar. That game, the intensity of that game, was on a whole nother level. You know, Grambling brought about its own set of challenges because it's an in-state rival. I always tell people, if you follow SEC football, Southern Grambling is like Alabama It's a friendly rivalry. It's family. Jackson State and Southern is like Alabama, Tennessee. There is no love lost, and it is all hate, and it is intense. And, man, trust me, being on the field in that game and – the trash talk and the stuff pregame and having to be separated. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was intense. All of that. Yeah. <laughs> All of that. So switching to switching gears really quick. You played for a legendary coach like Pete Richardson. Obviously you've seen all week through the headlines, Deion primetime Sanders. Now the coach at Jackson state. 
what's your take on not only what this will do for Jackson State, but then also what it does for the HBCU landscape? Well, for what number one, what's going to do for Jackson State? Let's go get a lot of eyeballs on Jackson, Mississippi. All right, that can be a positive and a negative. It's all about what you what you you do with it. Right. Uh, but you're going to get a lot of kids. Uh, who maybe haven't thought about Jackson State seriously to seriously consider uh, Jackson State. Uh, and I think Prime being there, like I said, it's going to open up not only eyeballs, but there are going to be some cameras in Jackson, Mississippi that weren't there before. There are going to be some members of the media uh, that, that are going to be in Jackson, Mississippi that weren't there before. Uh, so I think, think for Jackson State, it's a great opportunity. There are going to be some checkbooks uh, some checks are going to be written that would have been written before prime time wasn't there, wasn't there. So that's going to make a a a, a big difference for Jackson State, and I think in in part of the same thing for the SWAC. SWAC football is going to be talked about uh, not only because of the addition of FAMU and Bethune Cookman, but now you have prime time coming in. Right. So that's going to create some buzz nationally. Um, so I think that it's a good it's it's a it's a good thing. From from that standpoint, uh, I like it. Uh, Jackson State has been on first take. They they were on game day, ESPN, on Fox uh, college football show. And if you're Jackson State, that's a free commercial. Yeah. That JSU logo was up on that screen, and kids from coast to coast are able to see that JSU logo. That's the free commercial, and that's how FBS programs have grown their program by using that. Jack State can you know, now in a position to do that same thing. So that's big. So big ups to Jackson State. Do you think this hire of Deion Sanders will change the landscape for other programs? Do you think other people make um, other high, high caliber coaches per se um, will come to other smaller schools or smaller HBCUs to, 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 you know, keep this narrative going? Um. So I don't, so I think it's two part. I think that if you see that change, it just won't be because of, of Deion Sanders. I think when you mix the climate that we're in and that you have the potential for that to happen, um, because climate wise, you started seeing kids mention HBCUs, transfer to HBCUs and commit to HBCUs that we didn't get before. Right. So I think with the political climate, Along with prime time, I think that that has the opportunity to have you know some other coaches who want to get their start to come on to the the HBCU ranks. Now, uh, like I said, once that happens, uh, the biggest thing is going to be what happens on the field because everything that we're now that we're talking about now is what we're is from a PR and attention standpoint. But what happens on the field? It's going to help determine that even more. And that's what I've been seeing a lot, just kind of reading through different stories um, and considering people's opinions. Everybody, you know, is saying like, well, what will he do as a coach? We know what he did in, in the NFL. We know what he's done with the, you know, the high school team, Trinity Christian that he's coaching it. But what is he going to be like as a college coach? And that's the difference. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not dealing with some 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 guys that are 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. You're dealing with men who are 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, maybe older if you, if you throw in Juco yeah. players. So, mm -hmm. and, and these are different people that are coming from all walks of life. So, you know, the set of circumstances that you deal with from a high school standpoint, not necessarily the same thing that you'll get 
on the college level, it's just going to be expanded. Yeah, it's going to be a lot different. Um, you're going to you're going to have some athletes across the board, as opposed to in high school, you may have you know one or two here, and then we kind of fill in the best that we can. Um, and then in the, in the in the college ranks, you have to deal with things differently. You have responsibilities as a coach to alumni, to do speaking functions, recruiting, uh, understanding that NCAA rule book. Uh, it's just so much that you have to do as a coach because not only you're a coach, now you're the face of a program. And where that becomes different requests and, uh, and different duties that you have that you don't have at the high school level. So it's going to be interesting to see how – uh, he rises to that challenge. I will say that I've watched every interview that he's done so far. His heart is in the right place. He's saying all of the right things. Now it's going to come about, okay, how do you get that done? Because I tell people this all the time. Very few coaches, you don't walk out of their press conference and go, "Woo, we got the right dude. Everyone says the right thing, but when, it's start, when it gets time to actually start doing it, that's going to tell the story. So you hit on something with this with this particular question. You brought it up in talking about the political climate. How would you describe the state of the black athlete right now? Whether it's from a PWI or an athlete that attends an HBCU or even professional athletes. We have to understand our power. Okay. You're talking about athletes who a great percentage of of of, of, of athletes uh, come from middle and, and, and lower class families, okay? Uh, a lot of the neighborhoods that we come from have been left and forgotten about. And we don't see people who don't look like that, don't look like us in our neighborhoods, usually unless they're doing a job, either police or social work, okay? But those faces will show up when there's an athlete there. And we take that athlete and we put them in the place uh, where we're going to help that at, well, that athlete's going to help make a billion dollar, a million, multi million dollar endowment school more money. Okay? The money that's driving FBS football and that's driving professional sports are that those dollars are made off the backs of the black athletes. All right. And the neighborhoods that we come from are still forgotten. The institutions that we used to reign from are forgotten. We start looking at the money that our HBCUs, again, are compared to our in-state PWI counterparts. It's night and day. We're still underfunded. But um, something was told to me. It said that integration didn't happen for the betterment of, of, of black institutions. Integration happened for the betterment of white institutions. We're going to take your best and brightest, and we're going to continue to build with them. And athletes are now starting to understand that. But I will say this. It's going to take a lot more than to walk around the campus square when the cameras are around to change that dynamic. This fight for justice is a marathon. It ain't a sprint. And if you ain't ready... And I'm talking primarily to our, our athletes, our PWIs, and at the professional level. If you ain't ready for a work stoppage and the ramifications that will come from said work stoppage, then you ain't ready for, the, for, for a revolution. You're not. I'm sorry. 
everything that you're doing is just simply a PR move. All right. To walk around campus with a Black Lives Matter shirt with cameras around, that's a PR move. All right. Sorry. It is. You're not changing anything. You didn't disrupt anything. And what we've been taught in this country is that institutions do not change. Institutions of racism, institutions of segregation, those institutions do not change without loss of revenue. That's what happened with the, the, the bus boycotts. That's what happened with the sit-ins. Right. Unless there is a loss of money, there ain't going to be no change. So being that, you know, considering what you told me in the beginning, you know, you started off at UAB, PWI, you know, finished your college football experience at Southern. How do you go about making these changes? I mean, if, if you're an athlete, if you really are serious about making a change or, or making something different of the situation at hand that's going on in this country, how do you make a change? Understanding who you are. That's number one. Um, understanding who you are, what you and what you are. Number one, there is there are no no set of amenities, not a field house, not a uh, indoor practice facility, not a fancy locker with lights on it and 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 plugs so I can charge my phone and my iPad. There are no amenities worth your humanity. There are there's no CBS two thirty time slot, ESPN seven o'clock time slot. There's no time slot worth your humanity if you leave a place where mama and daddy is barely getting by and you go to a place where your locker room is better than your living experiences and when you leave that place is either pro football or go back to the experiences that you had and no one in the the athletic department is willing to come in and give you a helping hand because now your usefulness to them is, is gone, you have played yourself, all right? So what, we, what we've been doing is that we've been sacrificing our humanity for amenities. And at the end of the day, by and large, we've got nothing out of it. If you look at the sidelines, we start talking about graduate assistants, guys getting back into coaching, it's usually not us. I mean, it's, it's, it's usually not us by and large, it's not. You look at graduation rates, especially in conferences like the SEC, we talk about black football players. It's low. It's embarrassingly low. Uh, so what are we getting outside of the shining lights and then going back with a story to tell? Go to an HBCU, let them learn the culture, let them understand why it's important for you as a black man to get this degree, why it's important for you to represent something to the, the 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 best that you can because you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Go ahead and do that. Stop getting played until we understand that the power that we have because it's us that brings the money. If we were to go to HBCUs, the cameras, the money, the television contracts would follow us. So when we be talking about what Jackson State and Southern don't have, we talk about what Jackson State and Southern are building because now we have the money to do so. Right. And that's something that kids don't understand. The talent, the 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 talent brings about the money. So if we start to go to HBCUs, that, that TV money and all that stuff will come with us. Considering everything going on with the decision that recently came out about Breonna Taylor, the way you know we've seen professional sports, whether it's the NBA, NFL, 
um, and some of the other professional sports. Do you, do you, like, what's your take on the way that they're handling that situation, specifically about the decision concerning Breonna Taylor? I always look at the WNBA as the leaders of social change. And those ladies are often the least talked about. And you have WNBA players who have just said, you know what, I'm not playing. I'm more focused on this. You have WNBA players that have walked off the court way before the NBA did it. Uh, so I always look at look at the WNBA first because those young ladies, they, they are literally agents of change. And, and they go out and they do it. The, the lights and everything are on the NBA and the NFL. And I'm going to be honest, from an NFL standpoint, I'm not looking for much. Just because football, by and large, is all about the team, all about this, doing something for this. Basketball still is, but not so much. Because football is such a team-driven concept. You didn't even get that many NFL players to take a knee. After everything that has gone on, you ain't get that many. It hasn't been been that many NFL players stuck in there. Right. Um, and and that's because in the NFL, the contract and and the money dis- disparity is so large. You may have somebody on the team that's making thirty million dollars a year. Then you have a whole bunch of people in there that's making the league minimum. Right. I can't take the chances making the league minimum that someone's making thirty you know, 31, 20 million that's making. So that's a part of that. And those non-guaranteed contracts in the NFL is real. And also, they made an example out of Colin Kaepernick and not only Eric Reed, who both sit jobless, Colin, for multiple years. Now Eric Reed. So in the NFL, it's a little bit different. In the NBA, you'll get a little bit more because, number one, my, my money is guaranteed. And NBA, uh, NBA salary is higher. So you'll get a little bit more with the NBA. Um, and then in college football, we'll see. College football is the ultimate. Um, if you think the NBA is bad, a lot of these college athletes are afraid to speak out. You've seen a few this summer. You saw uh, Chuba Hubbard step up and say something. Right. And not, not even a day later, he's apologizing for something that he had no business apologizing for. He said that he was sorry. And to this day, Mike Gundy ain't never apologized for anything. Right. So – it is it's rare in college football to get anything, but the women in college sports. Look at Oklahoma; they took a knee doing the national anthem. The women's volleyball team. Women are always leading the charge, and I expect for that to continue. Who's your favorite HBCU band, and why? It's probably a no-brainer. So I have. Well, I actually I have two. Okay. Um. Uh. The first one is going to be the Human Jukebox. Um. I remember seeing them when I was, I think it was like in the third or fourth grade, my first time seeing them, and I was just like, wow. Like, that was my first time seeing Southern at all. I seeing that fan base, <clears throat> seeing the football team, and I was just like, I was just blown away. Uh, Jackson State gave me the same exact feeling when I saw them in 1995 when they came to Birmingham, Alabama for the Labor Day Classic. And I saw the sonic boom of the South. And I was just like, man. Like, <laughs> and, and lo and behold, I got a chance to see them together in 1999 um, at the SWAT championship game. And I was just like, whoa. So my two favorite bands have always been the sonic boom of the South and the human jukebox. Those two, 
when you see them, it gives you a feeling. And I ain't hating on nobody else's band, but those two, when you see them, they give you a feeling that, wow. Like, that's what you're left with. Wow. Is it one that you prefer over the other, or you just have a mutual respect for both? Like, I really have a, a mutual uh, respect for both, especially for the human jukeboxing and being on campus and seeing the work they put into it and, and understand that, wow, man, this this work that these kids and the directors and the staff put into this, what you see on Saturday, man, the, I mean, I, my hat goes off to those kids and, and the staff. Um, and 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 now, you know, knowing the guys on the staff, uh, Kendrick Taylor, you know, Brian Simmons and, and uh, you know, Lorenzo Hart and, and, and you know, uh, Sid and the rest of them. And even, you know, uh, Roderick, uh, you know, Roderick Little at, at Jackson State, you know, getting an opportunity to talk to those guys and their passion for what they do. And you realize, man, they end up falling in love with the band just like I did. They saw the bands as kids. It was just like, wow. So, I mean, I don't – I prefer Southern because I'm a SU grad. Right. But I like seeing Jackson State, too. Oh, I like seeing Jackson State, man. War and Thunder, the drum line, man, is one of my favorite. The J5, the drum majors, favorite. The J sets, everything about Jackson State, man. I just – I just – I mean, I, I like seeing Jackson State. Who would you consider your top five favorite HBCU athletes? Of all time? Of all time. As far as top five is if I've ever seen in my life, Destry Wright from Jackson State was one of the best running backs I've, I've ever seen. <laughs> um, um, he, he's definitely one of them. Uh, Graylin Pratt. Uh, quarterback at Jackson State in in the in the mid to early nineties, another one of those guys. Michael Hayes, uh, Southern University. Um, Darnell Kennedy, mm-hmm. uh, Alabama State uh, University uh, quarterback, and then I would probably go with um, Javon Hargrave. South Carolina State University, now the Pittsburgh Steelers. I had never, never seen an interior lineman that dominant on any level. I've seen some close, Chad Lavallee, LSU, um, and the the kid that Auburn had when when uh, Cam Newton was a the quarterback there. I, I, his name escapes me. But if you go, but go back and look at what Javon Hargrave did, at uh, South Carolina State as a defensive tackle and a number oh man Insane. it was a it was a one man wrecking crew so right. he he's definitely up there who would you consider your favorite athlete of all time Michael Jordan uh, it's a cross between Michael Jordan and Deion Sanders uh, Deion Sanders is a guy that I emulated um, in little league football mm. I wore the bandana um, I wore the, the gloves. I wore the wristbands. He, I took the mantra of look good, play good early. I'm talking about Lily because of Deion Sanders. I had the Deion face mask. Um, you know, I got in trouble uh, as an eight-year-old for high-stepping on the touchdown. Um, I got in trouble. I want to say I was 10 for doing the, the whole primetime dance on the <laughs> return. Yeah. 
Um, but Deion Sanders was my favorite football player. Um, like, so for him to be at Jackson State, like, I'm glad there's nothing going on because I don't want to be starstruck because very few athletes can get me starstruck. Dion is just because I grew up admiring him. He was my favorite athlete from the time I was in elementary school until the time that, that he retired. And even in college, when he came back and got with Baltimore, uh, my early years of college, oh, I was back being prime. Oh, man, prime is back. So Deion Sanders, um, ironically, is is probably my – him or Michael Jordan, my two favorite athletes all the time. But where can people follow you, um, you know, to follow you on social media? All right, you can follow me at Twitter, um, I'm at Inside HBCU Football. Um, you can follow me on uh, Facebook, I'm at BJ Jones, and, of course, the Inside HBCU Football Facebook page. Stay tuned for Episode 7 of the Red Diamond Report podcast next week. Until then, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at the RDR Report and follow me on Twitter at Wilton Reports and on Instagram at Wilton Reports underscore.